years. So they should be tying in. Well, not a very auspicious beginning, but um, uh, let's let's make what use of what little bit of time is uh, is left to us. Please, please turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four. We will pick up our uh, reading with verse five. I had originally planned to uh, go on with our exposition in in First Chronicles, and we have come to some some particularly uh, savory things pertaining to Abraham and Abraham's greater son. And it is always a, a delightful thing to focus immediately upon our our blessed Jesus himself. But um, uh, in some recent days, well, I so I've been I've been doing some reading, and in the course of the reading, the the author had gotten into some autobiographical elements. And as he was as he was moving along through those elements, he he interrupted himself. He felt as if some sort of special explanation or apology was necessary. And he said, um, in in discussing things pertaining to his life, he he hoped it wasn't self-absorption or um, something like that, but that he had come to believe that um, really this really every human story is gonna have some really strong contact points and resonance with just about every other human story so we can try to uh, imagine removal and place and time and really really different cultures and yet trials and triumphs, hopes and uh, fears, uh, so many of these things are going to be uh, very much the same. And this this got me th thinking, so basically he, he concluded by saying as we listen to other people's stories, we're really le learning to listen to our own life and sometimes it's very helpful to to think about ourselves through the lens of somebody else's story it can enliven us to new uh, to new elements in our own or perhaps unnoticed elements in our own lives but that only works this is what really got me thinking that only works because there are such powerful there are such powerful sympathies among human beings uh, throughout all of, you can read ancient history about human beings, and sometimes there can be things really different culturally or whatever, but the human experience is just the human experience. And our abilities to sympathize with one another is one of the great comforts that God has given us, even in a fallen world. Now, this observation from this author was 
was something that I could hardly miss because of something that is repeated throughout Deuteronomy. And as I've already mentioned to you all, uh, I have been working my way through Deuteronomy with my little people. But I want you to notice uh, just in this little, little bit of text of Deuteronomy, the often repeated exhortation to sympathize. So beginning at uh, verse 5, sometimes exhortation is explicit. Some of it's probably, you could probably add others that are implicit. Verse 5. When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business. But he shall be free at home one year, and shall cheer up his wife which he hath taken. No man shall take the nether or the upper millstone to pledge, for he taketh a man's life to pledge. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel, and maketh merchandise of him or selleth him, then that thief shall die, and thou shalt put evil away from among you. Take heed in the plague of leprosy, that thou observe diligently and do according to all that the priest, the Levite, shall teach you. As I commanded them, so ye shall observe to do. Remember what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam by the way, after that ye were come forth out of Egypt. When thou dost lend thy brother anything, thou shalt not go into his house to fetch his pledge. Thou shalt stand abroad, and the man to whom thou dost lend shall bring out the pledge abroad unto thee. And if the man be poor, thou shalt not sleep with his pledge. In any case, thou shalt deliver him the pledge again when the sun goeth down, that he may sleep in his own raiment, and bless thee. And it shall be righteousness unto thee before the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not oppress an hired servant that is poor and needy, whether he be of thy brethren or of thy strangers that are in thy land within thy gates. At his day thou shalt give him his hire, neither shall the sun go down upon it, for he is poor and setteth his heart upon it, lest he cry against thee unto the Lord, and it be sin unto thee. The father shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. But thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence. Therefore I command thee, to do this thing. When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, 
Thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore I command thee to do this thing. Uh, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites are called upon to uh, sympathize with uh, the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, the vulnerable, and they are they are to do that based upon uh, an expected sympathy. Their people, and we'll come back to this a little bit later, but their people have a have a near cultural memory of having been servants in Egypt. They remember how they were hardly used and how how painful that was. And knowing that experience, or at least having had that in uh, recent generations, uh, they are called upon to uh, uh, treat others the way that they would have liked to have been treated in that particular uh, situation. There's uh, the golden rule implicit in it. So I had the exhortation from this this author, you know, listening to the life of another helps us to listen to our own. All of that's only possible because of sympathy. I've been studying Deuteronomy with my children, and we're constantly being exhorted to uh, sympathize, to remember our our pains, our troubles, our our difficulties, and to sympathize with others that are experiencing. Uh, like things. And then as I was continuing to look around me, I, I thought to myself, uh, so much of our uh, relationships, so much of the depth of the bond is going to depend upon sympathies. And so we need to, we need to exert ourselves in this regard. We need to, we need to stir it up. We need to stir up the recollections as we have experienced uh, like things at other times. And, and it's easy to see how this is a helpful thing in relationships, how this is a healthy thing. So of course, uh, here you can see how it would help from the one side. The Israelites are being constantly exhorted to sympathize with the poor, the oppressed, and the downtrodden uh, in their midst. But we can also look at it from the other angle, how um, when, like when we're extending sympathy to others that helps in relationships, when others are extending sympathy to us, and when those things are happening concurrently, there is something powerful um, I think maybe in, in modern language they might they might talk about personal equity in in relationships, but this like there's there's equity there's there's substance there's solidity to relationships as we do this. If you'll flip with me to to Hebrews chapter four, uh, I wanted to look just very briefly at the effect that it has when there we are the recipient of. Uh, sympathy. 
Hebrews chapter 4. This is not the first time that, that Paul mentions this in the epistle to um, the Hebrews. He's wanting to impress upon us that Jesus, in taking to, to himself the human nature, uh, has been exercised in these powerful sympathies for his poor, suffering, afflicted, miserable uh, brethren. Verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it, it's, it's very interesting and even a study in, in contrasts. When it, when it comes to temptations in one way, our Lord Jesus Christ couldn't be more different than we are. Uh, we are tempted and we succumb every day and in a thousand ways uh, he never did not in one way ever and yet we are assured by the text that he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities and that he was in all points tempted and put to trial the way that we are and so he's able to sympathize with us in our experience and look at what it does to the nature of that the relationship when we're sure that he that he sympathizes with us the exhortation then comes let us therefore notice the the logical particle there therefore so because of this powerful sympathy let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need um, this, this, this powerful sympathy encourages us that we are going to receive uh, a gracious reception, that we are going to receive the, the mercy and the help uh, that we need. So we'll come back to this facet as well. So I'm, I'm thinking about the author. I'm thinking about Deuteronomy. Uh, I'm thinking about about relationships that can always use strengthening and I think particularly at this season in in history we obviously uh, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Western world is is deeply divided on almost every issue that you can think of or name and uh, in order for for us to engage and to be able to discuss those kinds of things, um, we really need strong relationships, uh, relationships that can that can bear the shearing force. We all know how difficult it is. We all know how we've all had the experience of um, uh, the, the trials and the stresses that come to relationships when we're working through differences. And so we need those, those relationships to be strong. And part of that strength is going to be uh, mutual sympathies, whether it has to deal with um, intellectual components or experiential components. Our ability to sympathize with one another does much to strengthen relationships and give them the substance that they need 
to withstand the shearing forces that are involved in working through differences uh, with regard to the truth. And then finally, and I probably don't need to elaborate very much on this, but it does appear that we, we live during one of those terrible seasons in the history of the world when the, when the love of men is growing cold. Um, uh, you have uh, the Lord Jesus in, in Matthew 24 describing the, um, the generation surrounding the fall of Jerusalem uh, being like that. There's an inability to, to sympathize in, in common humanity, and so it makes, it makes men savage and uh, brutal with one another, as if we, as if we didn't know how or or couldn't sympathize with one another. So while this was before my face in Deuteronomy, I thought it might be worthwhile to. Um, take it up for our mutual help and um, and edification and hopefully for the strengthening strengthening of the ties that that bind just very quickly a, a quick definition of of sympathy you could tell a lot from from the word all by itself uh, pathos in Greek uh, refers to the uh, to the affections and usually when it's used it's it's strong affections uh, a lot of times when it's come into English it's come in with a decidedly negative character that the Greek doesn't have to have so if we hear something being pathetic um, that does evoke the emotions but but in a very negative way the Greek doesn't have to do that it can just have to do with with pathos with the uh, with the affections of the human heart. Uh, the soon prefix, just together or with, that we are, that we're feeling something together. And as I've already said, it's really interesting if you study ancient history, people still just look like people, and you can remove time, place, and culture as much as you want, and somehow people manage to continue to just look like people. And there are things about the human experience that are uh, uh, the same. Sometimes people will want to um, make a distinction between sympathy and empathy. Empathy being like I've had almost your identical experience and sympathy being a little bit more remote. I'm not, I'm not particularly interested in that um, in that definition, there are probably always, like our individual experiences is quite particularized. But the, so for example, you are yourself. You've got a unique set, a combination of experiences combined with a unique, unique set of strengths and uh, weaknesses, um, and let's say a, a trial comes to you. I haven't lived your life. I don't necessarily have your strengths or weaknesses, but but we all know what it is to to have a trial. Our strength might not exactly be the same, but we all know what it is to have a, a 
a trial that really tests our strength or uh, you might be peculiarly tempted by something that I'm not peculiarly tempted by, but I might be able to sympathize with you even in that because I know what it is to have something that is peculiarly tempting and, and so on. So my point is that there are always things about the, about the human experience that are, that are very much the same. So here I, I wanted to move to uh, some really three applications with respect to uh, sympathizing with one another. My main purpose is that we might do so unto the help of our relationships. Um, but, but I wanted to do it under two general divisions. Uh, there are some things going on in our culture that make it harder for us to receive sympathy. As a matter of fact, in a very strange way, we might be erecting barriers. What a bizarre thing that I would erect a bar barrier to somebody sympathizing with me, but it's, it's something that I've seen a lot in my life, and I'm not seeing less. I'm seeing more of it. And then a, a couple of things in extending sympathy uh, to others. So, so first, um, our our culture is quite famously at this point cultivating a a victim's mentality, and so and sometimes you can even see something of a like a a comp competition. You can get a weird sort of reputation and even recognition for being the most victimized. Who would want to win that competition? But at any rate, people seem very, very motivated. We want to be the biggest victim or whatever. And so, so what ends up happening is we want to make our particular suffering, like if we want it to be the very best suffering, then we, we want to make it unique. We want it to be singular. And as I've already indicated, perhaps in one regard, it is. You're the only you. The combinations of experiences you've had are unique to you. Your perspective on those things is unique to you. You've got a singular set of strengths and weaknesses and so on for, for meeting the challenges and trials of your life. So in one sense, that's, that's true. But as, as I've already pointed out, uh, in spite of the fact that another person hasn't had your exact experience, sympathy is not about having had your exact experience. If, the, if that were the case, then we, we would not be able to have any contact with one another at all. The reason we can have contact with one another is, is because the, the syndromes, the dynamics are the same. As I've already pointed out, I might not have a particular temptation to something that really draws you, but I know what it is to really be drawn, and so I can sympathize. Um, um, you might be uh, making an error that I'm not making, but I've made errors so I can sympathize. You might be feel, feeling pretty silly about a decision you made, and I'm not making that decision at the moment, but um, 
I know what it is to make silly decisions and to be profoundly embarrassed by them. And so I'm able to, uh, to sympathize. But there is something about our culture that's wanting to encourage this more and more. If somebody comes and says, and you know it, you've seen it, somebody's explaining a difficulty, some, some deep-seated pain that they're having, and somebody else draws near and says, I, under, I understand what you're facing. I know what you're going through. And they say, you don't know what I'm going through? Okay, so like I said, in one sense that's true, in another sense that's not true. That can't possibly be true. But what's peculiar about it is it's a sin against our own happiness and comfort. It's a it's a sin against one of the principal God-given means for finding comfort in in a fallen world that has has a lot of, about it that is that is painful, difficult, and hard. And so when other people are trying to sympathize with us, far from repelling that in some sort of strange competition to try to be the greatest sufferer on planet Earth or something, um, we should invite that. We should receive that. It's good for the relationship. And it's good for the, it's good for the self. It, it is a real comfort to the self. And if I just, if I might just give a note on this, this strange culture of victimization, uh, and as a, as a student of history, I think it's worth pointing out, and particularly worth pointing out for our young people, it is true that Western civilization is in decline. And that's true, and that's a real thing, and we talk about that. But in but in another level, it is also true that that by and large we are we are the most comfortable people that the world has has ever seen. The world, the Western world in particular, post Protestant Reformation. Um, I can't remember. It's got it's an economic term. It actually has a name. But for most of history, it's not that there was never economic advance. But um, usually when, when me, there were means for economic advance, population also would increase. There are more means for sustaining people, so then population increases. And so people's standard of living, uh, by and large, didn't tend to rise dramatically or whatever. But post-Protestant Reformation, it really had, it really has, and it's taken off at a at, at a pace, especially as you get toward the end of the late 18th century. So when we when we, so strange. I mean, we shouldn't be involved in the in the competition for being the greatest sufferers ever, because because we're not. The simple fact of the matter is, with respect to temporal conditions, almost everybody in all of human history would pretty readily trade places with us. Um, and so that, that's a reason for us to be grateful people, great, grateful to God that we, that we live at such a prosperous time. It, it might very well be twilight of that time, I don't know, but, um, but it is still that time. And so as Christian people, we ought to be uh, peculiarly grateful, right? 
so I guess my main point is just let's make sure that we are not um, deflecting or discouraging other people from from sympathizing with us and I can tell you it, it's a real thing because when I deal with students and they're expressing their their pain I never say anymore I understand where you're coming from because it's likely to meet with a negative reaction in spite of the fact that it shouldn't and it would probably be helpful to be able to say it yet um, the culture of victimization is is destroying sympathies among among people and that's not good but that's on the reception side now on the other side of things uh, we need to be uh, extending sympathies to others um, there's an intellectual component to this I try as you all know I, I do send a lot of things out into the world of social media but I try not to receive very much in if it's not if it doesn't come up immediately on that on that first screen when I'm getting ready to send stuff out generally speaking I don't I don't look at it or read it I don't I don't want to but every once in a while I'll be I'll be tagged on something and in being able to sympathize with one another even in the midst of our debates over what is true and what is biblical is very important if we would like to be able to continue to try to have these conversations and what i have found by experience online and this won't be any news to you is when people are debating a point particularly online there tends to be um, zero human sympathy a sympathetic approach to your opponent might be something like really trying to understand how they arrived at their conclusion not erecting a straw man not lampooning their position not trying to paint them as if they're the biggest stooge or buffoon that the world has ever seen but really trying to understand like doing the intellectual math how did you how did you arrive at the position you arrived at and it's really interesting almost magical thing that happens when you make when you make an effort to really understand how somebody arrived at a particular position that demonstration of sympathy one i mean it makes you more more effective in the reasoning of it you're not you're not missing the mark you're not arguing against a straw man that in which they won't recognize themselves anyway but you're actually talking to them about their actual views the way that they really are you're trying to open your mind so that they're able to talk to you about your actual views as you as you negotiate uh, these elements but when they when people see that kind of effort this is not a hundred percent rule but when people generally speaking when they when they see that kind of uh, effort it, it does tend to sweeten the conversation it produces um, it produces patience it would certainly fall into the category of things of, of soft words that turn tend to turn away wrath because when we're sharp in those kinds of things then we tend to um, we tend to strike at the at the pride of the other person and now they become they become defensive and hostile 
and it's and it's not good. And, and we're able to imagine. Um, so, what I'm asking to be extended is really a golden rule thing because think of yourself as the recipient of this, both positively and negatively. Think about what happens when somebody, rather than trying to sympathize with you in your position, creates a straw man. Let's remove the emotion out of it. You, they, they're talking, but already you know that they're not talking to you. That's actually not what you think. So it doesn't, it doesn't help you at all. It doesn't further the conversation. It doesn't help um, bring us together to share one mind with with Jesus Christ. Think about it when it does have negative um, um, emotional impact. I mean, what happens when somebody lampoons your thoughts or treats you like a like a buffoon or the the village idiot for thinking? That doesn't that doesn't foster communication, right? So, so this is what, but think on the other hand, just how powerful it is when somebody extends that, that sympathy, when, when you find them asking questions because the, that person really wants to know your mind about it, why, why you think the things that you think, how you arrived at the conclusions, um, how that fosters conversation and deepens the relationship and uh, it's a, it's remarkable how when the when the context is framed rightly people are generally speaking willing to go on talking and talking and talking and talking because um, efforts are being made to avoid the negative elements that shut down conversations but this is this is what sympathy is right like i don't you know i don't you know like uh, in a in a controverted element i don't start firing shots because i don't want shots fired at me right and that's what sympathy is i know what it is to have shots fired i know what it is to have the frustration of futile uh, conversations and so I avoid doing those sorts of things I know what it is to be treated respectfully I know what it is to be treated patiently and because I know those things then I've got to use that sympathy to extend those proper behaviors those golden rule behaviors uh, to others so if we if we, if we want unity in the truth, then we need the kinds of relationships that bear it. We need to know how, how we can do what we can, at least. I mean, as individuals, you can't, you can't have a relationship by yourself, but you can do a lot to foster, and you can do what you can to foster one. And part of that is what you might call an intellectual sympathy and trying to understand how people get where they get and even conducting the conversation in such a way, um, in ways that you, you, you have appreciated, right? And then finally, um, we need to be able to submit to, or to um, sympathize with one another in, in the hardships that come. 
I suspect that that more hardships are going to be coming to us, probably not uh, f fewer. And sympathizing with one another in these hardships um, and how to sympathize with one another is an important consideration. Um, so some things that get in the way of this. Um, so you would think that this would be a really easy element because we've all had trials of various kinds. We've all had sufferings of various kinds, pains of various kinds. And so when we see others having trials, suffering, pain, you would think that there would be a really ready sympathy, but, but there isn't. Sometimes we can make the, the mistake of Job's friends and think, well, if that person is suffering, it's because they've brought their suffering down on their, on their own head. Uh, the book of Job is a, is a very lengthy presentation of the fact that that's not necessarily always the case. And so we need to be careful about that. But I would even go one step further, and I think sympathy can do this, because I know that in my own life, most of the hardship that's come to me has come to me as a, as a result, at least one way or another, of either my own sinful actions, thoughts, attitudes, words, expressions, or foolish and silly things that I have done. A lot of times what's come is might be related to those things. It's second or the third hand. It might not be obvious, but most of the difficulty that has, has come to me in my life has been largely tied up in my own fault one way or the other. And yet at the same time, in spite of that reality, and sometimes even with people knowing that that's the case, um, people have been, um, have been charitable with me and patient with me. They've sympathized with me and my distress in, in spite of those things. Um, and um, I, I have really appreciated it. And I do know, I mean, I have a perspective on what that does to relationships, how I, how I appreciate it and the depth that it has um, provided. I mean, just uh, no conversation actually went like this, but... It's kind of like I'm having a hard time, and my friend says, I know. And I say, I'm having a hard time because I'm foolish. Well, I know that too. <laughs> and yet, the sympathy, and the help, and the support, and the tenderness comes anyway. And so when when people are distressed, it's not necessarily because of what they've done. And I don't spend a whole lot of time, I don't think, trying to figure it, figure that out. But even if it's pretty evident that the, the trial has, become, has come because of 
sinfulness or foolishness or maybe even just some misapprehensions concerning concerning the reality of things well I'm able to yeah I, I know what it is to be in hardship because of all of those kinds of things and so far from evoking censoriousness from me or something like that I I'm able to sympathize and sorrow over those things because I know what it is to be those things and uh, I've done those things. So this would be more on the on the experiential level. If we're gonna have so just just to summarize these things, if we're gonna have uh, relationships that can that can handle the stress and the pressure of working through differences then we have to be able ready willing and able to receive sympathy from others and not block it on our end because that's crazy right and yet we do that and our culture actually encourages us to do that but on the on the other side um, we need to we need to extend our sympathies and we need to work on it and stir it up as we look at what people are are going through again you won't have done exactly or seen exactly what they're seeing not done what they've done exactly not going through what they've gone through exactly but but all of the human experiences are pretty much the same if you'll review your own life you'll see all of those kinds of things and that will help you to put your put yourself in the place of that person and then um, and then apply the golden rule out of the depth of that sympathy uh, treat that person the way that you would like to be treated let us pray together <clears throat>